I bring my Bible? Is my Bible back there, Zoe? Where's my Bible? Oh, it's right here. I got it. I got it. Holy moly. We are... We are struggling this morning. You want to know what else is funny? I didn't do my chose message. So here we go. Um, you know, when you get post 40, I don't think you're supposed to stay up till midnight um, watching movies and, and like cleaning up hot dogs and all that kind of stuff. So, um, so these are the mo one of the most amazing creations to man. Uh, they're bubbles. Um, over the years, the Manning family, if you didn't know, we foster uh, children. We've had, I think, seven kids come through our house for extended period of, periods of time. And this is the, the go-to therapy when it comes to hanging out with random kids and interacting with other kids and having our kids interact. Because without fail, every single child that has entered our house... Um, has just been mesmerized by blowing bubbles on her back deck. Um, and, and the deal is, is the simplicity of it is, is great. The bubbles sit, can, they sit on our back deck. We've got like a little bubble station and then blow bubbles there. But they can just sit there and you wouldn't even know the uh, joy that bubbles bring, right? Or, like I've done a few times, uh, just gone on the back deck by myself and blown bubbles all by myself gotta admit uh, But still there's I mean, that's just more like uh, just like therapy where I'm just like ah, oh. You know, but the sheer joy that you see on a child's face and this is like I mean I'm telling you even my 15 year old Colby he isn't up here to re rebuke or rebuke my uh, I can get it out All right, it's coming. It, it's getting. It's. I rehearsed this. I did. I promise. Hold on. I'm gonna just give up here in a second. Ah, yes. All right, here we go. Yeah, you can give me applause. The sheer joy of. Okay. Here, hold on. I got five. You guys aren't even clapping out of joy. You're just clapping out of my lack of struggle. Um, so, uh, bubbles in preaching and church. Here we go. No. But uh, you share in that joy with people, and we share in the opportunity to experience and give other people joy in our lives. And that's, in essence, what those bubbles meant in my fumbled approach of blowing bubbles. Um, so here's, it fits, it fits. Uh, solace, the idea of solace, finding solace in other people. So in other people's struggles, you feel good about yourself. So hopefully you're feeling really good about yourself right now because you're there and you're not here and you're doing good and I am struggling. But have you ever been in that position where you find solace in other people? Where, like, you observe somebody else's life and you think, man, I don't have it that bad. I don't have it. <laughs> of course you do. I just, I, it was all planned. It was, I tell you, it was all planned. Um, but what if I was to tell you, for me, 
the Bible is that. For me, the Bible is that because uh, written in the pages of the story, and yes, uh, oftentimes I'm far worse than some of the legends that are written in this Bible, but what, what gives me solace is that, uh, is that the Bible greats and the people that God chose to use uh, are people that uh, messed up as well, that lived their lives in ways and made choices that were tough and, and struggled not with bubbles but with other things, struggled in their lives, and then for me, I then get to have the idea of, man, you know what? I can relate. Or God can choose to use me as well. If you remember last week, we ended our, uh, ended our message last week in this overflow series with the, with the idea of uh, God's had to. He had to go meet the woman at the well, and he has to do this, and we're on his to-do list. We're on his have-to list. He wants and desires to use us in our lives. Uh, and, and over the course of the last six weeks or so, uh, we've tackled this idea of filling ourselves up, of preparing ourselves, of equipping ourselves. And so today what I want us to do is to focus on uh, all, that, uh, all that we've looked at over this idea of filling ourselves up and being filled with the Spirit and being filled with God, uh, all that we've discussed and talked about. Uh, all that we've hopefully lived out really, even in the last 15 months of this pandemic and everything we got going on, we tend to be, and you know, maybe we don't want to admit, but we tend to be a little bit more self-focused. We tend to be a little bit more, uh, uh, you know, locked in and recluse and like kept to ourselves. And so we haven't had the opportunity to uh, outpour of ourselves, maybe. that I mean, if we were just honest, maybe slightly, maybe for some more. Um, and what I want for us to begin to do, and it, it was so amazing to experience last night's movie night, and even the stuff that we're starting to do as a church, and the stuff that I hear about going on in the community, and all that kind of stuff, hear about going in your life, is this idea of reopening, this idea of regaging, and in some cases, maybe uh, engaging in the first time around this idea of uh, overflow being an act of generosity. Overflow being an act of generosity. Uh, the origin of the text we're going to look at this morning is 2 Corinthians 9. If you have your Bible, you can uh, turn there with me. Uh, you can turn on your phone. Bible app is on there. The YouVersion Bible app is what we use for our reading plans. Um, but we're going to be in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to bounce around in 2 Corinthians. Um, and I'm going to read this uh, text, uh, verse 6 through 15, and then we'll double back around and go through it. So, um, the point is this Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly Whoever sows bountifully Will also reap bountifully Each one must give As he has decided in his heart Not reluctantly or under compulsion For God loves a cheerful giver And God is able to make all grace Abound to you so that having All sufficiency in all things At all times you may abound in every Good work as it is written he has distributed freely as uh, he has given to the poor. His righteous endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be uh, enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. 
By their approval of the service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they, were long, uh, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gifts. And I know what you're saying, and you're saying is, man, I picked the wrong Sunday to, well, for those of you that are home, because it's not quite full in the room, you picked the right Sunday to not come to church. But maybe you're thinking, you picked the wrong Sunday to come to church, because here he is, the pastor's going to talk about cheerful giving. And and what I want to tell to you this morning is, you'll find out real quick, we're not going to talk about tithing and giving this morning. Uh, We do that a little bit every week, as I encourage you to work this out with God with your heart, and that's just what we're going to do this morning. We're going to talk about a, a generous lifestyle, a lifestyle of generosity in our life, and where, where God calls us all to be generous in everything and in all things at all times with all things. Um, and so this is a lifestyle message, and in order to do that, we have to look at the origin of 2 Corinthians. Uh, 2 Corinthians is a book in the Bible. It's called an epistle, and we'll get to that here in a second. Written by Paul, who penned a lot of the New Testament. Um, but we know it's written by Paul by the salutations at the beginning. 2 Corinthians 1.1 1, 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy our brother, to the church uh, of God in Corinth, together with all his holy people throughout Ahia. You know, you pronounce it that way. That's the way Lagos told me how to pronounce it. Um, it you could do this. All you need to do is buy the software, you know, listen to it, and then you can do what I'm doing right now. Um, but historically, this setting in 2 Corinthians uh, is in, in Macedonia, which is an area, uh, and he had left Macedonia and going to Ephesus uh, before coming back to Corinth. So these are locations, Ephesus, Corinth, um, these epistles that are written um, are written to areas and churches of this, uh, this time. And so this epistle being a letter that's written back to the church. So uh, Paul, or the leaders of that time, uh, Peter, James, John, uh, they've written letters back to uh, pastors or churches or areas, locations, physical locations, to address what's going on in that area. And so um, with this, our setting today is Paul's left Ephesus— uh, where, where Ephesians was written actually three or four years after this book, um, where things have gotten really rough in Ephesus. Uh, the culture and the people are wrapped up in pagan gods and pagan goddesses, so they were worshiping other things other than God, and uh, worldly uh, immoral, immoral acts. Uh, and the epistle in Ephesians focuses a lot on the supremacy of Christ. So Christ being supreme over all things because they had, quite frankly, at that time put other things, other gods and goddesses in the place of, of God. Uh, and Corinth, right now, where it sits with this letter, is uh, quite frankly heading that same way. Uh, for actually, kind of back at 1 Corinthians, uh, they're heading in this developed worldly ep- epicenter of trade and everything that's going on. And so Paul writes the first letter to the book, uh, to the church at Corinth, to address some of what is going on. Uh, And at this point, there's faction in the church. There's a lot of division and opposition within the church. 
Does that sound familiar to anybody? The Western church today, there's a lot of division. There's even more division, I think, than what was back then. Um, and, uh, in, 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 and, and there's tolerance for immorality that's going on in Corinth. Uh, the church members, it said, and they're suing each other. And Paul writes, and he pleads to them in 1 Corinthians uh, to put Christ at the center of all things. That everything you do, Christ should be at the center, and then outward pouring outward overflow of Christ should come from that. And that letter's received kind of as like a, a good sermon. So I could get up here, other than my reading being a little poor, I could get up here and just read you the book of 1 Corinthians or the book of 2 Corinthians, and that in a sense was a letter, a sermon written for that group of people. Alright, and so that's the setting that we're getting at where these epistles are written. And so our focus today is that second letter to the Corinthians. And they had started making some changes. It was very evident to Paul that they had taken his first letter really seriously. And they had started to address some of the things that Paul had talked about. And he had sent people there to, to be with them and to hang out with them. And so uh, what we see is that they've made some change in, 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 in some focus. And they're centering their lives around Christ. And so all throughout the book of Second Corinthians, Paul is encouraging them. He's saying, good job. I knew you could do it. Like, this is great what you're doing. And he's, there's a lot of words of encouragement in Second Corinthians for the group of people. And so for us this morning, and all throughout the letter, you know, it's obvious Paul's addressing strides that were being taken in the right direction. And so my question for you is, is that true for you? Is that true for you that you have taken strides of recent memory towards centering your life around Christ? Like if you decided in your heart to make those steps, to make those changes, to adapt to maybe something you've heard from me, or we all have access to the best preachers on this planet right now. Have you listened? Have you gotten into the best sermons that are written to make some strides and changes in your life and decisions that get you headed in the right direction as Paul is kind of in, in, encouraging the people of 2 Corinthians um, at this time? Is this true for you? Are, are you making the strides to put Christ in his rightful place in your life. And church, for me, I've been uh, praying first for myself and for all of us, um, and I've wrestled countless day days agonizing over um, the thought of returning back to the way things were. And that thought being something that I think we've all kind of at times hope for, but then thought, well, I don't really want things to be the way that they were. I want to, and we talked about it a lot in the early days of the pandemic. Like, I want things to be different. I want to grow even in the midst of everything that's going on. And so I've agonized over this idea of realizing maybe that I hadn't grown other than physically from COVID weight and eating ice cream and like not exercising, not getting out as much. But, um, have we gained a better understanding of this time, any time, whether it be the last 16 months, the last two months, the last two or three years of our lives, the last two or three days of our lives? Have we gained a better understanding of Christ? And that's what, that's what 
Paul is hoping for for the Corinthians, and that's quite honestly how God is hoping for us in the truth that he has for us, that we would make those strides and that we, we, we would be better for whatever reason tomorrow than we are today. Like God loves us where we're at, and you've heard me say this before, loves us where we're at. He doesn't want us to stay there, though. He wants us to continue to grow and develop. And we see Paul write this uh, second letter, uh, and it addresses that. What that could look like for us. God's confidence in us. That God's confidence in his ability, uh, in his ability to work through us to accomplish this. Um, to be his people in this world. Uh, and one of the major themes of this letter, along with this encouragement, is an idea of suffering. Is the idea of suffering, and in, in, in there, is, there is a little hint towards physical suffering, but I think it's much more than that. Uh, physical suffering that would produce deeper faith in Him, in God, but more the idea of suffering for the sake of Christ, suffering for the sake of the gospel, suffering for the sake of, of, of what God desires for you as his followers to do for where he's placed us strategically the world and the big focus is giving ourselves and our lives holy not holy holy like entire to the cause of the gospel to the cause of the hope that we have in christ and what he did for each one of us and we see that kind of that mix of encouragement in in in, in, in suffering, that encouragement and uh, choices in, in overflow all throughout. Chapter 4, we have this giving of ourselves outwardly, uh, giving away our outwardness towards an inward change in our lives, and we'll talk about that in a second. In chapter 8, uh, talks about treasures that are on scene and a wealth of generosity as, as an example of investing in what, in what is uh, unseen rather than what is seen, what is immediate, what is right in front of us. And in chapter 8, it says that. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, so Titus is along with Paul, to bring also uh, the, the uh, completion, this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, in, in, the, in the love that we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of living and this idea of grace is all throughout second corinthians as well and and it caused me really to look at this idea of grace grace being um god giving us what we don't deserve so god continuing to bless us even though we don't deserve it even though we fall short often he continues to give us grace give us more than we uh, deserve in our lives god giving generosity so Grace is, grace is generosity. Grace is God's generosity uh, to us. And we, and we see it in, 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 in the verse that I read, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, uh, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Uh, this idea of crops is a, is a common theme all throughout the Bible because crops at that time I don't think it's a stretch to think it, 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 it I would say that it's as valuable as the dollars definitely more valuable than cryptocurrency is today the big hype like crops at that time was huge that was like 
currency of that time. And so they're talking about those that sow seed lightly, that just kind of sprinkle stuff out, you're not going to get a, a, a bumper crop. But if we sow heavy, you're going to get a heavy crop. And there's an art to that, and God's, God's kind of displaying that through his idea of crops. And, he, and, and, and Jesus himself talks about a, a, a parable where there is a, a farmer who is tending to his land, who is taking in his, his crops in Luke 12, and, uh, and he's taking in a, a bumper or a bountiful crop, uh, which is tenfold what he normally would, and, and he doesn't have enough room to uh, store it himself, and so he gives, no, he doesn't give it away at all. He says, I'm going to break down all of my stuff, and I'm going to store that crop for myself in bigger barns and in bigger uh, storage facilities and all that kind of stuff. And Jesus says, and then you lose your life, and, you've, and you haven't done anything with this bountiful, this, this, this uh, sowing of this huge crop. And Jesus gives that example of, of, of being generous and in, in, in giving away. Uh, and he uses this, they call it the rich fool uh, in, in, in Luke 12. And then it goes on to talk about how God cares for us more than the birds and more than, you know, the, the flowers and all that kind of stuff. And, 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 and we have to realize in what's being told with the idea of this sowing and reaping and the idea of the parable that Jesus talks about is that God cares for our needs. No matter what, whatever we do, uh, if we have this generous lifestyle of, man, we've got so much, we're willing to um, give away our time, give away our resources, give away, I don't know, do we have any farmers in the room? No, so yeah, so we can give away our crops. We can talk about that all day, right, and not really understand it, but it's the idea of the aspects and areas of our lives all of our life, that God wants us to be generous with giving, uh, giving ourselves up, giving our own selfish desire to build up um, a way. And so that verse in 2 Corinthians, uh, the verse starting with chapter 10, it says, Now he supplies seed to the sower, and bread for food uh, will also supply and increase your store of seed, and will enlarge your harvest of your righteousness. And so God is talking about He's going to handle giving you what you need. You can't, I've heard it said this way, you can't outgive God. Whatever it may be, time, resources, talents, uh, opportunities, uh, work life, parenting. Like you can't be more generous than God is going to be back to you with whatever area it is. And we'll see here that God actually doesn't even discuss the idea of finances uh, in, in this case, in a lot of this case, he just talks about in all things, at all times, with all things. Verse 11, you will be enriched in, in every way so that you can be generous in every occasion. Through all of, uh, through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. See, God is the source of generosity. God is the act. He has given us the act of generosity. And, and the kicker for us is the ability to see it that way. The ability to see uh, the progression of, the, you know, even the two epistles, if we look at it. First Corinthians, uh, Paul was addressing immoral living and right, you know, righteousness in living and, and what he desired for them. And then in Second Corinthians, he says, now that you've grown in knowledge and understanding of grace and of generosity, uh, our generosity comes with our ability to deal with the stuff in the way that uh, God desires for it. He says, 
take care of your life and what you've got going on in the areas of your life that we're working on, we're working hard on, uh, and once we kind of get some things in line, that generosity is going to be the overflow of the work that he's done. It'll outpour of the work that he's done in our lives. And that's the sacrifice. But the sacrifice is met with, uh, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. And this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but also an overflowing in the expression of the thanks to God. So when, when we give God the opportunity to meet our generosity by providing for us, we then give thanks to God. Have you ever been, like, in a situation where without a doubt you know God was working? Like, he blessed you, he, he got you through something, he delivered you, or he showed up in a big way? Like, in those times, you say, thank God. Like, and, and they become the story you tell people about your very real God that's active and living and in, 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 in delivering and in, in, in involved in your life. Those become the stories of God's generosity to you that then you give thanks to God. And then it says there that uh, supplying the need of the Lord's people is also an overflowing of many expressions of the thanks to God. Other thanks to God. The sacrifice uh, of God is uh, the sacrifice of God and others before us is built on that grace and that generosity of God. I was having this discussion with somebody a handful of weeks ago, and 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 as we talked about like following God and what does it mean to be disciple, what does it mean to like place your faith and trust, like pretty much if we really boil it down, none of us are here in this room really on our own accord. Like it's been the generosity of somebody else showing us God's presence. In most cases, sometimes it, that's not the case, but somebody in your life showed you God's generosity and grace in their life. And because of that, that helped you be ushered into that same thanksgiving to a God that's living and active and willing to work and, and bless you in your life. And that's the same case for the people that would sit in these empty seats, right? Our ability to bless, to give thanks back to God for all the work and active work that he's done that then produced our generosity to be able to give towards others out of our life and the way he works then allows other people to give thanks to God, to hear your, your stories of giving thanks to God and then, and then outpour that as uh, stories of the way that God has worked. God's grace gives and calls us to give. The sacrifice of God calls us to, to stretch, and that's that idea of, 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 of uh, suffering. Suffering, in this case, is not only, like I said, physical suffering. It actually also speaks to the idea of, of uh, putting yourself in a position where, uh, where there is some uncomfortableness, which Quite frankly, in our world, in our culture today, we think of anything that's uncomfortable as suffering. If you have preteens and teens, you know that that's, that's the way, or even littler kids, like as soon as something's uncomfortable, like they let you know that it's like they've suffered a big deal. And, and, and honestly, it's not only in kids. I mean, I admit to it, like if my world is stirred, 
I'm suffering. Like, it's not exactly how I want it to be, and I'm suffering for that. And that's, that's what it's called. And, I, and, and, and in tough... It's a big rat back there. And I'm talking about this because here's the deal. Uh, desperation, it doesn't sound like, but desperation is a great place to be in. There's an there's a equation that uh, desolation leads to desperation. But in the case, I just like to focus on the desperation side of things. And I think that there's two real kinds of desperation we have in our lives. That's desperation of a position we find ourselves in. Something happens, uh, illness or hardship or things like that, uh, that then we, and oftentimes in those cases, whether you believe in God or not, you're asking for prayer and you're asking for people to be like, you're desperate, and so you're, cr- you're calling out. But then there's the idea of desperation where you've put yourself in that position. Like you've put yourself in the position of desperation for God, right? Because ultimately God desires for us to be, to have a desperation for him in all areas of our life, to be, to be desperate for him to be involved in, putting ourselves in a position where we, we like need him in that area and recognizing our need for him in that area. Again, if you parent a teenager, you know that. Like I've put myself in the position of having a teenager and now like I'm desperate for God to work with me in it. Or financial desperation like we fall on hardship sure and we're desperate but also god sometimes calls us to put to give in such a way where we then are desperate for him to come through for us time's another thing with that like we put ourselves in a position where we run out of time where we don't have the time to serve or or be a part of something or that we're desperate for god to show us his discernment and what he wants us to be involved in what he wants us to do in our lives in our marriages, right? What if we adapted the kind of love that God calls us to to our kids and to our spouses? That kind of love is only possible in our understanding God's love for us. So then, with that equation, we become desperate for God to show us the love that he desires for us to have for the people that mean the most to us. And then, we take it even a step further Desperate desperation for God to show us how to love people that are harder to love That are harder that are quite frankly impossibly generous with Like I don't even desire to do that But we're in a position where we're desperate for God to show us What he wants to do in those situations Second corinthians if we go all the way back to chapter one says Blessed be the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, uh, in, in, in the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction, with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. That's our equation that when we be, when when, when we seek God for comfort, when, we, when we're desperate for God in a situation, we then are able to ourselves comfort other people who are in those similar situations that we're in. Where God desires for us to then comfort others in their afflictions and in their pain and in their hurt because we have been desperate and allow God to work in those same situations in our life. 
That God's grace abounds so that we may show grace to others. Like if, if grace is generosity, we, we would, God's generosity, we would, uh, God's generosity, God's grace in our life would abound in our life so then we can show that same grace and generosity for other people in our life. Comfort others by the grace of God. Be generous with our lives towards the comfort of others and not just ourselves. If we look back at that parable where the guy was like, no, I'm just going to build a bigger barn and keep all my stuff in my barn. It's the opposite of selfish living. It's living in a such a way that we give to the point of our desperation of God continuing through the grace that he shows us in his ability to work. Second Corinthians, if we then jump to the, the, the verse in chapter 4, 16 and 18, it says, so we, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer selves are wasting away, and that's that idea of everything around us is breaking down. Our cars aren't meant to last forever. Our houses aren't meant to last forever. Our lives, like the death rate is still like 99.9999998. Like there's only been a couple people who haven't died. Jesus being, well, Jesus died and came back, but there's been a couple who just, anyways. Um, Old Testament. Um, but uh, even though our outer selves is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. That if we allow God to work on the inside, inside out, we are renewed in understanding God's presence and his generosity in our life. For this, light, uh, for this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an internal weight of glory beyond all uh, comparison. As we look not at things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. That talks about the things in our lives that are in front of us, that are around us, that are, um, that are seen, that, that our outwardness of what's produced in our lives is, is temporal. Right? I've used the analogy before. If I had a rope that went all the way around this room, like our life here on earth would be like that much of that rope. Temporal. But what is not temporal is eternity in God and his desires, his grace, his generosity to us. The life that he desires for us to live in relationship with him is eternal. The things of him are eternal. And this, this verse, quite frankly, kind of centered in, this, in the middle of Corinthians is this rock where uh, the grace-filled generosity living life flows out of. Our outer self is wasting away, and our inner self is, is, is being renewed if we're on the right thing, if we're on the right path with God. Not death, but life. Preparing us for that eternal weight of glory behind, uh, um, beyond all comparison. I love that. Beyond all understanding, beyond all comparison. I love those comments in the Bible because it causes us to be like desperate for God for an understanding of it because we can't understand it. But he continues to give it generously. And then jumping back to chapter 9, verse 13. Because of the service by which you have proved yourself, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for, for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given. Thanks be to God for his indescri er, indescribable gift. 
Others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. Our ability to confess, our ability to be desperate for God in the areas of our lives allows others to give thanks to the God that we are, uh, that we uh, have found that meaning and found that purpose in. Because of the service by which you have proved yourself. Church, you and me, where are we at? Where are we at? Uh, are we where God desires us to be? Are we living the life that God desires us to live? Are we going after the life that God desires us to have? Are we making those steps to those strides towards centering our life on Christ? Are we sacrificing ourselves? Are we sacrificing ourselves for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the hope, for the, for the sake of Christ and his desire for our life? Like, is there, are we, are we willing to sacrifice much of anything for that? Are we sacrificing for the, ourselves for the sake of the gospel, what God calls us to through these words in 2 Corinthians? And I encourage you, it's not a long read. Go read, because here's the deal. I, I, I really feel, I really feel, and I've said this all along, as a church, we've grown in the last 16 months like I think we've really truly started to understand some of more of what God desires for us and it's much more than this gathering on Sunday morning so much more than this I think you know and I heard somebody say it last night praying for an overflow and, and it overflowed onto the mountain onto the little hill, mountain the hillside over here for movie night like I think we've understood that yeah, like once things open back up, we're going to engage our neighbors and be more intentional about relationships because maybe we took it for granted. But more than that, I think that we've grown in an understanding of what God calls for us to do more than just like do church. Like it's not about doing church. It's about being the church and being what God desires for us. And that takes sacrifice. Others will praise God for the obedience in, that accompanies your confessions of the gospel of Christ. And your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else, and in their prayers, because of your generosity, their prayers and their hearts will go out to you because all of the surpassing grace of God has been given to you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. All of this, you and me, how we live, what he desires for us, his grace that's been given to us, his, his gift of grace, and then what we do with it. God calls us to display 
his generosity because he's given it to us. I want to end with just that same question. What is it? Where is it? How is it in your life that you've made those steps, that you've started to make and have that desire to live out of not our ability or our um, what we've built in our lives, but out of our desperation for God to work. So where, where in your life have you started pointing your life in that direction? Have you started directing your life in that direction? And I encourage you to just make those strides and those steps and experience God's grace and his generosity for you in them. Will you pray with me? Ben, I'm going to invite you to come up. Lord, I thank you that um, we can find solace in, through the pages of your truth in the people that you've used to do your work. Lord, for me, I know that oftentimes I, I look for ways to talk myself out of how I've disqualified myself for your presence and your grace and your generosity, Lord. But I thank you that it is written in your word and truth be told that nothing can keep us from your presence, Lord. And so this morning, I ask uh, on behalf of myself and for my brothers and sisters, my friends, here, Lord, those that are gathered online, I ask that you that you shake us up, that you stir us to an understanding of your grace and your generosity in our lives, Lord. Lord, uh, not that in such a way we just recognize it, but in such a way that it changes our life. It changes our daily life, Lord. So it's a bold pray prayer to prayer pray lord and you can pray it if you want to but uh, if you i mean caution in it lord but uh, i ask that you that you help put us in the position to be desperate for you because of our generosity towards others lord that you would increase your grace and generosity in our lives solely be because we're following you and being gracious and generous with all of those that are around us, Lord. Lord, I want to be desperate for you. I want to desire everything about you and what you have for me, Lord. Lord, it is, it is what I want to worship you, to desire your heart and to desire your will in my life, Lord. So please give that. Help us to recognize that, Lord. We pray this in your name.